podcast, I think would be helpful, especially with organizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might get a pair, two of them. They're usually a pair when they're on podcasts and stuff like that. So I'll see, I'm, I'll follow them on Twitter. So I'll see. You know, my husband probably wouldn't mind either. I haven't asked him, but I'll sign him up. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd be whenever. Awesome. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. I would, I would love that. That'd be a good perspective. Yeah. He does interviews and everything anyway, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind. That would be, would, would be an easy interview, too, because he's so easy. That'd be awesome. If you could go ahead and make sure that your microphones are muted, we will begin in a few minutes. Do you want me to record on my end, or do you want to record on your end? Uh, mind if you record? Okay. Just because I think mine may be good. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to week three of Classroom Chatter. I'm fired up to have everyone on this evening. We have a special guest uh, from Western State University, uh, Dr. Alicia Lewis. And I am super fired up for this one. Um, I know from my, my experience, you're one of my favorite professors. I think I learned a ton from you. You have prepared me to teach in a pandemic that I had no clue was coming. And, uh, and I think that is uh, super helpful for everyone here. Um, I'm so glad you're on. I'm honored to have you as a coach with me on this project. So and I'm glad to be. I want to start off as a, a little getting to know you questions. Um, so first and foremost, what was your favorite subject in school and why? 
my favorite subject was science. Um, and I loved science, especially I remember in middle school and in college, I liked it because the teachers made it very hands-on. Um, I remember specifically in middle school, standing around the big black tables um, and going to grab some Bunsen burners and plugging up the Bunsen burners when we were talking about like chemical and physical reactions. Um, so that was really fun. I also remember like doing the tasting with the taste buds and having Q-tips and dipping them into different substances. So that teacher in middle school made it really hands-on. And also in college, my college professor made it really hands-on. Like we would go to say the lake um, and look at the different waves in the water as opposed to just reading a book about it. So just the hands-on aspect of science, I really, really like. Awesome. So this is my favorite question I ask all time. Uh, what was your favorite lunch day item and why? Favorite lunch day item. We had so many <laughs> in Louisiana. We, we had so many. I mean, we had the classic like red beans and rice on Mondays, um, but that wasn't my favorite. The favorite thing, which some people will probably find gross. And I don't know if this is a Louisiana thing or if it's from other states but it was something called fish and cheese. And it was this square shaped piece of mystery fish of some sort with a slab of cheese on top. And then it was all breaded and either fried or baked, I don't know. Um, but it was so good, we would run up the hallway and I know you're not supposed to run and students get fussed at for it, but we would literally run like full speed when the bell would ring to the cafeteria, my friends and I, to hurry up and be first in line because they would run out because it was very popular. Um, so we would run up the hallway to the cafeteria to get our fish and cheese. Now, I don't know if I would still eat fish and cheese, um, but it was definitely good back then. That is something I'm willing to try. I just need to go to Louisiana to try it. <laughs> it sounds just like pepperoni roll day in uh -huh. West Virginia. So spot on. I I'm definitely have to put that on my bucket list. Yeah, and I'd never Fish had a pepperoni cheese. roll since, until I moved here. I'd never heard of a pepperoni roll. My husband, like, was just bragging about them because, of course, he's from here, and I had never heard of it until I moved here, actually, and they are, they're pretty good. They're not fish and cheese, but they're pretty good. <laughs> That's awesome. Fish and cheese is what Fish I need to. And cheese. I, it, may, it may one up the pepperoni. May have it may one up the pepperoni roll. Yeah, it was it was pretty. So tasty. something interesting. That's awesome. I can't wait to try it. <laughs> um, something that I think is interesting. Um, did you always want to be a teacher? No, I specifically remember being in junior high. We had junior high when I was a kid. That's how old I am. Um, but ninth grade was in our middle school. And so in junior high, I remember saying I would never be a teacher. I did not want to be a teacher. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. But I do remember saying that, um, that I would never be a teacher. But I always wanted to work with kids. Um, and when I was younger, I remember wanting to have, I guess, what would be considered some sort of boarding school for kids, for troubled kids or kids who had tough home lives. Um, I always wanted to have some sort of school or place for them to go and to live um, and just to learn. And, and that would be their school. Of course, I didn't know, you know, and being in middle school, I don't know like how my brain thought that that would happen. Um, but I did definitely always want to, to be 
working with kids in some sort of way. Was there any instances uh, along your journey that made you realize, or individuals that made you realize you wanted to be a teacher? Well, when I was an undergrad, um, I was going for psychology. And in psychology, I think I took like a year worth of the, the intro classes. And one day in psychology, my teacher said, a lot of psychiatrists end up depressed, um, which is understandable. And so from then I changed my major. I knew that I didn't want to constantly be like unhappy and depressed, but I still wanted to work with kids. And so that's when I ended up changing my major to education. So I can still work with kids and still be able to help them, but work a little bit more like with the happier side of it. So that's how I decided just in undergrad that I actually wanted to come into the field of education. That's how I switched over. So it wasn't really an individual. It was just more of a thought process and trial and error. Of yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good um, area. I think that's, a, I think that's a story that's often to many educators and, and many students that uh, go to college and they find their path maybe going another way, but then because of certain reasons, they decide to go in the education realm and I don't think they regret it one second. Not at all. And I think that's, I mean, yeah, that's the coolest thing is one of my coworkers, um, a couple of them actually uh, can remember as a kid having a chalkboard and pretending to be a teacher. And I always thought that, you know, that's, a, that's such an interesting thing because I don't think I necessarily knew I wanted to be a teacher until later in life. But some of them, I guess, um, wanted to be a teacher as soon as they were little. See, and I remember as a kid, we had these wooden doors in my home, and we used to write on the wooden doors with chalk and play teacher on those wooden doors and just rent it off after. So now that you said that, it's, it's bringing to my memory that I did play teacher as a kid. There's something about a chalkboard that gets lost with a whiteboard now, and I think even now a smart board, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I had a whiteboard. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Maybe it'll make a comeback one day. I know vinyl's making a comeback, so maybe the chalkboards maybe. will make a comeback. So, one of the reasons why I, I adore you as a teacher is because of all the fun ways you can make um, online learning and virtual learning a success. Um, I think of you often every day now because of all of the cool things uh, I experienced as a student State University in your classes and all the things you taught me just to even want us one in to ask questions. So what are some of your favorite educational services for online learning and why? Well, I used to love Schoology and it still it still has its perks because I already had a class set up. Um, but for new teachers, a lot of the perks that used to come with it don't really, they don't have the same um, for the free account, for the basic account, which is what par parents use and teachers use um, for free. They don't have a lot of the same perks that they used to. So I'm gonna be transferring over to Google Classroom. Um, and Google Classroom has a lot of the same features as Schoology, um, but you can stream, streamline a lot of different apps and kind of like build it right into Google Classroom. Um, so for instance, you can put a YouTube video directly into there instead of having to save it somewhere and then upload it in. Um, you can do your basic 
tests in there. It'll create a grade book for you. Um, and then another hot trending thing in education right now are Bitmoji classrooms. And so for your Bitmoji classrooms, which I'm working on with some of my classrooms this semester, um, you can use Google, um, Google Slides. You'll create Google Slides with your Bitmoji classroom and then you can put it directly into your Google Classroom for your students if that's something that you want to do. And then also if you use Google Meet, which I didn't have much success with it, but some, some people do. Um, if you use Google Meet, you can go directly into your Google Classroom and stream directly from your Google Classroom into there. So that is one of my favorites. Um, the Remind app has been very useful in K-12 education and in higher ed now that I'm here, um, just to be able to communicate with my parents or communicate with my students. Um, it just makes it easier if they just have a quick question um, or if an email got lost and they really need to know something. Remind is just a really good way for collaboration with the students and with the parents. And then also in there, they've updated it to where students can talk to each other. So of course, um, in K-12, you might not be able to do that depending upon the, the requirements of the Department of Ed or K-12 um, Education Department of Ed. But in higher ed, our students can communicate with each other because they might not want to have each other's cell phone numbers or something like that. So it does allow them to be able to text, um, set up group meetings and things of that nature. So Remind is another one. And then two of my favorites um, are Kahoot and Quizlet. And the good thing about those two apps is that they have adapted for e-learning because at first you were required to be in the classroom with the teacher, you would have to have a code and put the code in. But if you look up some of their updates for e-learning, they have updated it to where it's easier for you to send your students a code and them to be able to work remotely either together or with you online. Um, and then the last one that I'm going to talk about is classtools.net. That is really cool. My middle school students loved it because there are a bunch of different games built into it. And one of their favorites was Pac-Man. So with classtools.net, you go in, you build some sort of quiz, and, this, and it's multiple choice. And then the students can go in with that code and they can choose whichever game they want. So they have Pac-Man, there's a kind of like a walk the plank with a teacher and they can create their character. So there's a ton of different games that they can use in there and they have to ask, answer a certain amount of questions correctly. And then they get to play a round of the game. Um, so it's just really fun and it gives them the regular brain breaks that they need, but at the same time they're learning. So those are my faves. I loved classtools.net. It was, um, you told us about it and I loved it. I remember um, getting on that website and was playing Pac-Man and I said, this is brilliant. This is something that if I had more time before the pandemic hit, I would have totally used. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately the pandemic hit and then the world kind of changed. Uh, right. But yes, that is uh, an awesome service. Awesome. And, yeah. um, you know, again, this is a wealth of information for all of us, especially, uh, especially for those that are in the classroom right now with um, and maybe expecting kids that their students to come back within a couple of days. This is all good to know and, and keep them engaged and have fun and give them those brain breaks. Yeah. Um, so 
what are some traits do you believe that separates a good teacher from a great teacher? A good teacher from a great teacher. A good teacher, well, let's just talk about a great teacher. Let's just head there. Um, a great teacher, I think, and from my experience as a teacher and seeing other teachers around me and also just being a student and being on that side, um, being compassionate, I think, is extremely important. Um, a lot of times, students are dealing with stuff outside of school, has nothing to do with you. Um, and so when they come to school, they bring that with them. They don't turn it off, um, which is hard sometimes for kids. A lot of times um, they're not adults. Their brains aren't equipped to deal with some stuff um, that they have to deal with. And so having that compassion to know when they're acting out that it's probably not about you and then figuring out a way to work with those students so that they can be successful in school um, is very important. Um, and even if it's dealing with, you know, a concept that they might not understand. Um, sometimes students might appear that they aren't trying and it's just their way of showing you that they just don't understand it. And so they'll just completely shut down. Um, and that can be frustrating. It can, can be very frustrating, you know, having to deal with sometimes several students in the same classroom who are acting out or who aren't working. Um, so just finding ways to work with those students. A lot of times I used to, you know, just pull them aside, talk to them, figure out what's going on. Um, it, it really goes a long way as opposed to trying to just the first reaction is to punish them. Um, so being compassionate is very important. And then one biggie that we're seeing right now is flexibility. Um, being extremely flexible right now is very important. Um, and I think that for me, you know, being a parent and a teacher, I can see why it's important for me as a parent to be flexible and why it's important for me as a teacher to be flexible. Um, sometimes the Wi-Fi doesn't work. Sometimes you might upload something and it disappears. Um, your whole class might disappear. So just being flexible, being very forgiving of yourself, being forgiving of each other as far as parents and teachers go, um, that's extremely important. Um, now with that flexibility, of course, comes being prepared. Um, so making sure that if something does occur that causes your class to not be able to function, that you have an alternative assignment, either online if you're you know, doing e-learning or something like that, um, having an alternative assignment for the students to be able to work on if something does occur. So flexibility and compassion, that's the key. I've often bragged here recently about two things um, that the WVSU program has taught me. And one was the lesson plans. I know a lot of students can think the long lesson, long form lesson plan is, you know, was a bear to do. And it, it was certainly uh, took a lot of time, but that stuff sticks with you. I mean, it just sticks with you. And then uh, reflection. I mean, I reflect every single day and I, and, and I even get a, a better, uh, time to do that now because a lot of the stuff we're doing is recording so we get to test ourselves and see you know man I shouldn't have said that I should have said this so it's it's so for those of you that are, are education students in this in the program at VSU uh, just realize that it may take some time to do that but man it is worth its weight in gold it really is yeah it really helps you I think because I hated doing the long forms in class too and I literally used to think I hate these you know, I was the defiant student, but inside, not outside. So I would think that these are stupid. 
I, I would really just be so frustrated because I was thinking, I'm never going to have to do this in real life. But what I realized is doing the long forms, it helped me to better be able to think through the process. So although everything isn't written down, I immediately know what to do and how to react based on what I had to write. I think uh, great teachers and coaches um, really teach their students to have certain tools for multiple situations. So you want them to have more tools in their toolkit so when they bring it out, uh, they can solve multiple problems, and I think that's what one thing uh, that, the, that the education program Washington State does that I think other programs, at least in West Virginia, don't offer. So I mm -hmm. think that was, you know, I think you all have done an excellent job, and I know have prepared me. I mean, I'm a lot more confident going into the job day uh, day one than I was um, compared mm -hmm. to other um, other teachers just because of the preparation we had. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely focus so what are some technology yeah yeah it's i mean it's been excellent it's been excellent um what are some ways that you can that you have managed um you have classroom managed both in person and virtual students how are some ways that you've done that so the main thing that i've done um, to start out my semester is I taught everyone using my virtual platform. No matter if they were in person or online, everyone had to log in um, using whatever device they had, cell phone, computer, iPad, and everyone had to use that to complete their assignments. Um, we're now using it to listen to me, so I'm not um, broadcasting anything through the speakers in the classroom anymore just because it was too much to manage of turning it down. If someone was in person, it would have a horrible echo. So everything we are doing, even if the person is in person, is online. Um, and I did this just to make sure if we did have to go 100% virtual at some point, that everyone was prepared, all of the students were prepared, and also just to maintain my sanity and make sure that I can effectively teach everyone. Um, because it's really hard to try and manage in person and online, trying to do different things, trying to, you know, go to this person and, and figure it out and then have online. And then there's messages popping up that you missed because you were over here. So everyone is online. Um, and, and I think that it's important to give teachers, students options as far as coming in person or online. I, I totally agree with, you know, giving them options, having them be able to come in person. I know I'm tired of sitting in the house. Um, so I, I do think that it is important, but at the same time, we wanna be prepared. Um, so, and then with managing it from the first day of school, I think we handled it just like we would were we in person. Um, so I went in, I made sure that I talked about expectations. Um, and for younger students, of course, you're, you're gonna wanna do that throughout the first week and then remind them every several weeks or so, depending upon what they need. Um, and just make sure that from the beginning, a sense of community is built. Um, so do the getting to know you activities, do the icebreakers, um, you know, just make sure that you, they understand your expectations of them and you make them aware of what it is that you are going to offer them as well. Um, so just making sure that before you jump into teaching um, content, 
make sure that you take some time and it could be a full week of no teaching and just showing them how to navigate your course room and discussing expectations and doing getting to know you stuff, building that sense of community. Um, definitely, I think it definitely goes a long way and I think it's, it's definitely helpful to make sure that you can manage both aspects of teaching. I think that goes into what you stated earlier. It's just the relationship piece. And I know that certainly got you into education or really appreciating like science class, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the foundation was built with the relationships. And right. of course that sparked your interest because it kind of goes back to the saying, a student doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. Right. And I think that that just, like I said, it goes a long way with classroom management, I rarely had classroom management issues. Like if I ever brought anyone down to the office, my principal would be like, oh boy, what did you do? Because I never brought anyone down. I would always like work with the students. So he knew like if somebody went down to the office, they needed to not be in my room because they did something like way over the top. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I really don't like to send students to uh, the office. I know there's been studies, especially with, student, with students at the high school level, where they've said that it's more so teaching them habits, right? It's not punishing them for, one, for the one thing they did wrong. It's, it's make, using that as a teachable moment. We mm -hmm. need to remember that we're teachers, not punishers. Right. And I think that'll be so helpful for us to remember because we're constantly teaching, even if it's just uh, parenting habits, really. Mm -hmm. Right. And one thing that I used to do during lunch to help build those relationships is there was a group of students who would always be in lunch detention. Almost every day, they just had a standing seat at the lunch detention table. And so when I noticed this, I would pull them out. I started pulling them out of lunch once a week, pull them out of lunch, um, even if they weren't punished, they, they wanted to come with me because they knew that we were going to talk. Um, and we would talk, I would just take them up to my classroom, we would talk about why they would get in trouble, um, how they should react, um, even if they felt like it wasn't their fault. And they got to a point where they would give each other feedback. So they would be like, man, you were wrong for that. And like they would, and then they would listen to each other and they would be each other's friends. And they knew like, First of all, I would not let them say anything negative about the teacher. It could not be an opinion. You had to say what happened. Just give me facts, what you did, and what you could have done to change the situation. So it could not be she hates me. Okay, we don't know that. Tell me what you did. Tell me what happened. Um, and so it actually ended up being a really good thing. And again, that helped to build some really positive relationships as well. And those students rarely got in trouble in my class at all because of the fact that they knew that I cared and I helped them kind of work through some stuff. So it helped them to mature too, so. That was awesome. Um, we talked about earlier about the difference between a good teacher and a great teacher, and that's what a great teacher does. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, you were probably the reason those, those students came to school. I mean, if they, you know, because they're learning that and, and they're getting that support and they're learning life lessons and right and they care about them i mean that's that's powerful that is powerful they really um, liked it that's awesome uh, what were some kind of road bumps along the way in your teaching career and 
how can you give us some advice to kind of get over that to prevent that from happening to us? When I first started, management was an issue. Um, so management was definitely an issue because when I first started out, I wanted to control my class. Um, I wanted to make sure that everything was just so and the students were acting how they were supposed to act, whatever that means now. Um, and so in working through everything and observing other teachers, which is really, really awesome. If you can observe some of the more effective teachers in your building, um, I definitely suggest it if they would invite you in. Um, just learning from other people and figuring out, you know, my style and that I'm not in control. It's their classroom. And before I left K-12, I actually had gotten to a point where I would tell the students, this is your classroom. Um, you know, if they would ask, hey, may I borrow some crayons? They're your crayons, go grab them. Just make sure you put them back. And depending upon, you know, the ages of the students, you might wanna have a sign out sheet, sign in sheet or something like that, or have like a group manager um, so things don't walk away. But just give them ownership of their classroom and let them know that it's their classroom because it goes such a long way to making sure that everything is managed effectively as opposed to you trying to control something. If you let them control it, they will control it. Um, and they may need to be taught how to do so, but they will control it. They will do a good job. You find yourself, you're good leaders. Um, you know, there was, I remember there was a young, a little girl, not a young lady, a little girl in one of my classrooms and a little boy who, they were completely opposite, um, but she kept him in line because she was, I, I grouped them together because of their personalities. Um, and she was very quiet and he was more outgoing, but in that group, oh, she was, the, she was the boss. She would make sure that he worked. She would make sure that he turned his work in. She would make sure that he did it correctly and wasn't rushing. Like she was just the little boss of their little partnership. And so again, just make sure that they have ownership, find your leaders, make sure that you know, they know that they are in control because a lot of times, especially in middle school, I'm not sure about high school, I never taught high school, but in middle school, they are trying to find themselves anyway and they want to control stuff. Um, so just let them, just let them and they'll figure it out and you will have to teach them, but they'll definitely figure it out and it'll go a long way. Yeah, two points uh, from that is, one, what you said about the, the students creating their own, I mean, that is their class and creating ownership within that class. That is so important. And I think that sort of makes the process easier because as you know, and I'm sure as others know that every single classroom is different. There's a different culture within mm -hmm. that class. So for them to find their own identity, that's so important. It, it really reminds me of coaching that every, you know, every single, even though you may have returners on your team, Every single year is different. Every single culture of your team is different. So it's just mm -hmm. like that in the classroom. It's just quicker because it's, you know, instead of just one group the whole year, it's it's like eight. And some now, in some cases for elementary, it might be different, but right. Um, but it's 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 changes, it's ever changing, and we need to create that ownership. Um, so that was awesome, and you know. I, I just can't get over that fact. That was awesome. I'm definitely taking that into tomorrow. Um, that's awesome. Um, so we'll go to the resources question here. So what are some of your favorite teaching resources, such as books, podcasts, websites? Mm -hmm. What are some things that help you um, continue to improve on your educational journey as an educator? 
definitely joining some professional organizations based on your content. Um, for instance, the NSTA, National Science Teaching Association, or um, ISTE, um, the International Society for Technology and Education. Um, they have a lot of workshops, they send journals um, for you to keep up to date on. And so those are some really good, just joining professional organizations. I did not at first, but it really is useful. And then also just your basic Facebook group. Um, Facebook groups are really useful depending upon, you know, which group you join. Some of them aren't so good, but a lot of times teachers go on there to not only ask for help, but to offer help. Um, so if you are having an issue with something or if you just want to learn more about something like technology, um, you can ask it and you'll get like so many responses and it just, it's really helpful overall, just those social media groups. So. That is super helpful. I, you know, I, I, there's several podcasts. I've really gotten into podcasts mm -hmm. here recently. Um, because when I do like to read, I like to read a lot and then mm -hmm. I just don't necessarily have the time for it right now. Uh -huh. So podcasts can give me a, a quick little burst of information. I can write notes on it. It's kind of like I'm going to a lecture and it seemed to help me. It's actually um, helped me with auditory learning and listening uh, just mm -hmm. because I, that's my main source of learning right now is just auditory. Yeah. And so I've wondered, I wondered if, you can change a learning style because of that. Um, that's something I meant to ask you. Well, do you think that's a that's certainly a thing that learning styles change throughout ways that you're taught? I think that everybody probably has a mixture of learning styles. And so one probably could become more dominant or less dominant depending upon the platform that you're using and your expectations, definitely so. I think that's important um, to, uh, I think there's, you know, there's ways to accommodate to how a student learns best, but I think there's times where we need to maybe challenge them and get out of their comfort zone a little bit because mm -hmm. that's how life is. I mean, that's basically with sports and, and other extracurricular activities, they're, they're going to be pushing your boundaries a little bit just so you can grow and learn from that. So I think that's a good point. Um, right before we end up here, I'd like to open up um, questioning to anyone who's on. You can just unmute yourself. And if you have a question, feel free to ask. Or if you have a question, you can throw it in the chat and I can ask it if you don't want to speak up. So give you guys some options or any questions that anyone would like to have. Uh, Tiffany. So her question is, she's starting her first teaching job on Thursday. How do you make an impression? What I did, and I used to always hear, don't smile. And I say smile. Smile, let the students know that you're there for them. Um, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, and, and I know this is easier said than done, but try not to stress or at least try not to show that you're stressing. Um, if everything does not go perfectly as planned, that's completely normal. Even in my 14th year, everything didn't go completely as planned when I was teaching students. Um, so just make sure that you are, again, flexible and forgiving of yourself. So I would just definitely go in, talk with the students, introduce yourself, um, ask them about themselves, 
have some sort of icebreaker because that's just going to make it fun and and a little bit more laid back and a little less tense. Um, and again, don't try and get everything done right now. Everything does not have to be finished right now. Everything does not have to be prepared just at this moment. And it, it's going to be completely fine. Just be prepared as you can. Um, but if things don't go exactly as planned, that's completely fine. Make notes, reflect on it, change it for next year. What were some of your favorite icebreaker activities? That's something we brought up a couple times here, and I'm mm -hmm. interested to see if I can take, maybe steal some of those. Well, for in-person, my students loved, I used to blow, which we can't do this now, obviously, because of COVID, but I used to blow up balloons and put little pieces of paper in them with little questions on it, and what they would, I would just like throw them, just throw them all out. The students would be crazy, ah, trying to catch a balloon. And then whatever balloon they caught, we stood in a circle. They would pop it, which made an extremely loud noise, which I hated, but I did it because it was fun for them. And then they would just read their question and, you know, just it was something getting to know you or something like that. Um, for online, what could we do as an icebreaker online? I mean, for us, for my class, I just gave them a list of three questions and they got to pick whichever question it was that they wanted to discuss. Um, so it was maybe something about how will this course help you with your career goals or what are your apprehensions for this semester or what do you want to accomplish something like that so I would definitely give them a list of questions to choose from and have them pick whichever one they want to answer so my last question here um, is what was your favorite um, book that you've ever read and why book that I have ever read this is going to sound so crazy but my favorite book that just still makes me happy and I read it to my kids is Rainbow Fish. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read Rainbow Fish, but it just, it taught a really good lesson and it was just very colorful and just makes me happy to look at it. So my kids love it. I love it. And it's <laughs> Rainbow Fish. <laughs> that is awesome. And a nice, uh, a nice cherry on top of this awesome Sunday that we've created today. Mm -hmm. um, Again, I can't thank you enough uh, for helping me out with this one, and, but two, mm -hmm. being an awesome guest. And again, anyone and everyone who's joined tonight, you're more than welcome to, to uh, join next week. Um, and for weeks after that, I think we have this until maybe Thanksgiving, right? Oh, November. I think on, yeah. So this is just a way to talk about education and, and learn how to be better teachers. Again, professional development is something that it's a continuous thing. If, you're, if you say you're an educator, you need to be a lifelong learner. You need to continue uh, learning. Um, next week, we have a perfect guy to talk about that. It's uh, Joe Ferraro. He's the host of the 1% Better podcast. And you want to talk about a guy who's a super learner, it's Joe. And oh, by the way, he's also a teacher. So he's, um, he's going to be great, and I'm excited to have him on. Again, I can't thank you all enough. Um, this has been something uh, that I've always wanted to have. You know, I wanted some prof weekly professional development if possible. And it happened, and, and I can't thank you all enough. Again, uh, hope to see you all here next week. Dr. Lewis, you knocked it out of the park. You delivered certified Zoom gold. And it's yeah. a hard thing to do. Email there if anyone has any questions at any point. Please feel free to email me. I am really good with email. Typically, I'll get back to you within a day. 
So if you have any questions, if you're not one of my students, um, and if you are one of my students, just do the PD, PDU form, fill it out, send it to me, and then I'll get that turned in for you. So. And I threw uh, my email in there as well. So if you have any questions, or if you want to talk about or ask the questions about what I'm going through with uh, uncharted territories with teaching, feel free. I love to talk education. I love to talk uh, coaching, anything and everything to help young people achieve their dreams. So, again, thank you guys, and I'll, we will see you next week. All right. See you next week, Zach. See you. Bye-bye.